Appreciate it. Last week gave Mark a script and he loved it. And I thought, oh, this week we're going to go off and he didn't enjoy that so much. That's my, that's my fault. I, I apologize to Mark for not providing him an adequate script. And I'll, I'll try to do better next time. But I appreciate you standing up there and giving announcements. And, uh, and uh, no, we won't be handing any more cards out. <laughs> cards are in the back. Cards are in the back. Oh, goodness. Well, it's great to be here. I'm loving the sunshine. It's getting a little warmer. I'm excited about this week. I love talking about weather because I like being optimistic that spring and summer are coming. And uh, I think we're going to experience a little bit of that this, this week. So that's, that's great. Welcome. I see some faces I know, some faces I haven't seen in a while, and some faces I don't recognize. So welcome here. And uh, my name is Pastor Nick, and uh, glad that you guys are here to, to worship and uh, to join in here. But getting down to business... Leaders, the leadership of the church, leaders in the church have to evaluate and monitor and make adjustments as, as the church is growing and things are happening, right? I mean, you think about businesses and business leader, and you, you do certain things, and at times you make changes and things like that. And so we have to evaluate and, and make judgments to the best of our ability. We pray about this, and, and we just really seek God's wisdom in this. And, and so we're kind of in that time route. We expect God, things, God to do big things in this fellowship. We see he's doing big things in our community, and we expect he's going to do big things in this fellowship, which means that it's going to get a little packed out here from time to time. And so you guys have numbers. Did you guys get numbers for like your family when you came in? Did you get like a little slip of number, a little piece of paper with a number on it? Okay, great. If you didn't get one, go ahead and put yourself in the two category, all right? Put yourself in the two category. Now, i got to explain this, and we spent a lot of time talking and, and trying to, how do we evaluate what's going on and, and um, where the people are and things like that, and, and as we grow, how do we stretch and grow and things like that. And so i got to say, uh, if you're a, a number one here, we love you guys, we appreciate you coming to, to worship and, and things like that, but as this place gets packed out, we're going to need to make some more room for other people who are going to come into here. So number ones, we're going to ask you, We've evaluated this based on giving and attendance and social media stuff and all that kind of stuff. Number one, we're going to ask you that we want you to fellowship with us, but we're going to ask you probably do it in the Genesis room, which is way down the hall. Don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. I've, I've not, we're not packed out yet. Don't leave. Nobody leave this place yet. Nobody leave this place yet. But if it comes to that, and so now we know, now we know, if it comes to that, if there's room in the balcony, we may give you room in the balcony, if we can spare that, but the Genesis room, and we'll, tie it, we'll try to pipe in the sermon and the worship and things like that, but you guys just go sit there in the Genesis room if, we, if, if need be, we need be. And by the way, we're, we're limited on resources, so the coffee bar, if you're number one, can you stay away from the coffee bar and let some other people <laughs> fellowship in that as well? Number twos, twos, twos here. We got some twos here. You don't have to show these cards. You know, put your hands on. You don't have to show these cards. You're, you're middle of the road, and we, we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. You got just you're so close to that next level. So we're going to allow you as number twos to keep working. We're not going to ask you to leave because oh, keep you're, you're almost there. You're almost there, and we want to have you in here contributing and participating in the worship. Now, number threes, if you're number threes, anybody three, don't raise your hands. We don't see them. It'll make everybody else jealous because you guys, we don't want you to to fellowship in the coffee cafe because we have Starbucks and other coffees in the kitchen. Okay, and if you like that with special creams and, you know, served order mochas, cappuccinos, things like that, we're going to serve you guys in the kitchen, and you guys don't ever have to leave. In fact, if they're, you can actually ask number ones if you can have their spot because we want you to feel comfortable and enjoy the service, okay? All right, everybody got that under control? We'll, we'll be we, leaders. We know, we know where people are. We know who people are. 
So we're going to be monitoring, and if need, need be, as God grows this congregation, we'll be making adjustments, and we thank you for your time and participation in that. All right. You're saying, you guys, you're nuts, <laughs> right? You're, Pastor, you're absolutely nuts. Why in the world? How in the world? And why would you even do that? That's not what church, that's not why I come to church. You're, what are you, causing division. You're sowing division here, right? We're not supposed to do that. You're, you're breaking us up into groups and categories, right? Yes, I agree. That would be totally nuts. You don't abide by the numbers. Don't abide by the numbers. Don't, don't hold to those numbers. This is not what this is. If, if we did that, if we actually acted that way, this church would start to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle in attendance, right? No one would want to be here. Ones, you guys would be out of here quick because, man, I, I'm being trampled on. I'm being stomped on. No one's respecting me, and I'm not, you know, they're, they're not looking for, to help me grow in my relationship with the Lord. Twos, you may stay here for a little while to see where you can, what you can do to do. Threes may stay here a little while and say, yeah, I'm enjoying this place. They treat me really well. But eventually, this place would be dead and empty because we would start categorizing and put people in certain spots and and uh, showing favoritism to certain individuals in the crowd. And James, we're in James. James is writing to a church talking exactly about that. We read the scripture up there. Um, but no, no, toss the numbers. You're not a number. I, there, were, there were some folks in the first service. Apparently, they got attached to their number. You, you got a three, huh? Yeah. Well, well, we'll get some coffee later or something like that. Discard the numbers. That's not what we are all about. We know that that is not what the body of Christ is all about. We know that is not the attitude of Jesus Christ. And we, as his body, that is not to be our attitude as well, of one of division and, and breaking apart and splitting based on what we can see or what we perceive. And James speaks to this. James is speaking to a church. These are folks. He's speaking to a church. He's not speaking to the world. He's speaking to a church and said, okay, you guys say you have a uh, a faith in Jesus Christ in, in chapter 2, verse 1, holding on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's acknowledging that, hey, you guys say that you are, uh, you are in God's family. You're, you're, uh, you're believers in Jesus Christ, but there's something going on here that is not consistent with that claim of faith that you hold. At the end of chapter 1, he gives a snapshot of religion. I called this for the older folks. I said, this is the Kodak moment. For us younger folks here, I said, this is the Instagram post. James is making an Instagram post. This is what he says. If he's saying, hey, this is religion, what does he say? If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless. He deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. And here's the post. Here's the snapshot. Here's what he says. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There are people out there who, who feel marginalized, who are, who are discarded, who, who other, the, the world does not value. And, and James says, hey, we show who we are in Christ. We show the best side of our religious life when we are helping reach down, pull them up, encourage, support, help them in their distress, and also when we keep ourselves unstained from the world, from the world's values, from the world's systems, from the world's way of doing things, and the world's way of looking at people. This is the snapshot of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, this is not an all-inclusive, hey, this is all you can do in Jesus. There are so many different ways that we can, we can bless um, one another in the world. Uh, but he says, if I was going to give a snapshot of what it means to follow Jesus, it's to take care of other people, look out for other people's needs. There are some people hurting out there, and we take care of them, and we, we remove ourselves, we separate ourselves from the, the, the ways that the world 
operates. We don't separate ourselves from the world because how are we to reach the world if we're not in the world and actually interacting with the world, but we separate ourselves from the values and the systems and the way that we, the world evaluates um, people and, um, and, and, and stuff. So this is what we do. James says, this is what we do. And then he's going to take us into a more comprehensive section in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And this is one of the, the more fleshed out sections of this letter. James does a lot of skipping around. I like James because he skips around and he's got all sorts of thoughts flowing out there. And I skip around and I got all sorts of thoughts flowing out there. I think James was a creative guy and it was just boom, 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 boom. But here he, he says, okay, this is a, basically this is a story that I've been told. Chapter 2 starts out with basically a story. I, I hear James in his words here saying, oh, I know what's going on. I hear what's going on with you guys. Let me repeat back to you what you guys, what, what I see you guys doing to the, this, this community, the, the fellowship that you are a part of. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. The, the apostles and the writers of Scripture did not write things just randomly. They were addressing certain topics and certain situations. And obviously there was something going on in this body of believers that there, there was favoritism shown toward one group of people and not towards another. And he says, ah, oh, this is what I hear. This is what I see. Oh, and we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of religious acting doesn't match up with who our God is. The God that we worship doesn't match up with the way that we are acting. And we, got, and we don't expect God to change. We expect to change and become more and more like him as we, um, as we encourage one another, as we're in the body with one another, as we're listening to the Spirit. The psalmist in Psalm 68 actually says this, God in his dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God looks out for all those people out there who no one else looks out for. God has his eye on the people out there who are hurting, who are suffering, who are crying, who people have discarded. The, the orphans and the widows of the day, we may think of, of what orphans and widows are today here where, when we live, and, and our, my with the orphans, my, my thoughts go to foster care, foster care, you know. The kids without a home, kids without a home, and, and we're, we're blessed to have places where kids without a home can go. But in this day, at this time, when James is writing, orphans and widows were basically on the street. They were discarded. There was no place for them. You know, if, if someone, a lady's husband died and she was on her own and, and she may not get the inheritance from his death. She may not get any money from, from her husband's death. It may be passed on to other family and they can decide if they're going to take care of her or not. So you have these women who are on the streets and they don't know what to do. They have no one taking care of them. And James says, if we're going to be religious, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, we're going to watch out for those and the kids who have uh, no standing as well in that time, in that culture. You could have a baby and say you were looking forward to a boy and you got a girl. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to put our time, energy, and resources into a girl because we want a boy, we want an heir. So, little girl, you're on your own with no place to go. And James says, no, this is not, this is not what we do. This is not who God is, and therefore this is not how we act. We do not show favoritism. We, we take care of the orphan and the widow. This is the whole gospel story, really. God reaching down 
and seeing a broken world, broken people, all of us are included in this category. God reaching down, seeing a broken world, broken people, and saying, I am here for you. I am here to help. I'm going to pull you up out of this thing. You're in a pit that you cannot get out of. You've lost your hope. I'm going to bring hope to you. I'm going to bring hope right to your doorstep. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Favoritism here, basically the meaning of the word means literally to receive the face. You're receiving the face of some, someone. It's, it's all about appearance. It's all about what you see. It's all about what you perceive and how you give value to someone based just strictly on appearance or what you think they bring to the table. All right? Literally, just to receive them at face value, just what you see, what you can perceive. And, uh, you know, honestly, if we're, we're honest with ourselves, we all work out of bias. All right? Do we, we, we all work out of bias, right? We, we tend to gravitate towards the people that are similar to us, uh, who are like us, have the same interests as we do, feel comfortable, um, feel safe, right? You, I mean, some of us here were, were picked first on the team. Some of us here were always picked last on the team, and you see the bias there. Some of us, you know, were a favorite in the family. Some of us are like, I am, man, they are all the favorites but me, and we, feel, we see bias and favoritism in those kind of situations. If we were honest with ourselves, if we were sitting in a cafeteria, a big cafeteria, you know, where you're eating with hundreds or thousands of people, big cafeteria, you're sitting in a cafeteria, and there were just a couple of tables set up, and you had a table that was just like you, People, men, women who are just like you, and on the other side, people who were not like you, and maybe it was skin color, maybe it was economic status, maybe it was um, uh, education, whatever it may be. You walk into that cafeteria, what, where do you gravitate to? We all kind of scoot to the table that's very comfortable and to the people who are very much like we are, right? We, 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 we have a bias. We, we do tend to see people and things at, at face value and take it as that. We, we, we enjoy the comfortable. We enjoy the familiar, even the safe. I feel safe going to this table. If I went over there, I don't know what would happen. We all have a bias. And James said, this is not what happens in the church. This is not what happens in the church. In fact, he says, this is not who our God is. Paul reminds us a couple of times, Romans 2 says, for there is no favoritism with God. Are you not blessed and thankful for that? Imagine that. If you, if you thought God only works pulling out his favorites, God only works, God, that's the way God works, it's like, man, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have the giftings. Paul says again, masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours, you who are elite and you are who are impoverished, have the same master, is in heaven and there is no favoritism in him. 1 Samuel 16, um, around verse 7 or so, you know, Samuel is going to find the, the future king of Israel, and he goes to uh, the house of Jesse, and, and what does he do? He, oh, he's got the big, biggest brother, biggest, the first son, right? Oh, it's got to be this guy. He, man, he's impressive. He's impressive. Nope, God said, no, 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 no. No, down the line, down, nope, 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 no. Gets down to the skinniest little shepherd boy and says, ah, that's the one, that's the one, Samuel. 
That's the one. Because what does God say? God says to him, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees what? The Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees deep down inside of us where we just look at the, the outward, the appearance, what we perceive coming from that other person. James basically says, do you not think I, I hear I don't I hear what's going on here? Do you, do you not think that I, I don't have a clue of what's going on in this church? I think James is receiving letters. These people are far away from him, but they've been part of his family, part of his church. He's probably receiving letters, probably you know, um, receiving correspondence from, from different groups uh, in, in these churches. If he was on social media, he'd be looking at social media and says, oh man, that guy looks like he's in trouble. That guy looks like he's in trouble. I'll tell you what, a little secret here. Social media is about a pastor's best friend because what does it do? It starts to show the heart, right? It starts to show the heart. And so James is probably getting correspondence from these people and he's getting a little concerned and he has to dive into what in the world is going on here. And he says, this is what I hear. Let me tell you a story of what I hear is happening in your church. Verse 2 in chapter 2. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is what I hear is going on, people. This is what I, these are the stories that I'm hearing. And I think most of the commentators say, well, James does a little bit of exaggerated language here to really put his point across, but this is what's happening in this church that he has, the, the people that he has ministered to for, for years, and now they're, they're farther away, and so he's got a pastor heart. Oh, guys, guys, we need, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. You're saying to me, what I'm hearing is, Someone of power, someone of influence, the guy with the gold rings and, and he's finely dressed. He's, he's really this language of like power. It'd be like a magistrate or a, le- a ruler in the city. You know, you can talk about, hey, we're under an emperor and this is the kind of way, this is the way you would describe an emperor in a person of influence. You've got them walking through your door and you've got a poor person coming in as well. And you're saying to the poor person, tell you what, you just go find yourself a corner of the room somewhere and God bless you and hey, come here, come here, favored, favored one, you know, hey, leader, leader, so-and-so, come, come sit in this spot of honor amongst us. You're giving full-blown, over-the-top treatment to some and you're neglecting others in your body. This word, distinctions, he says you've made distinctions among yourselves. The word really means divisions. You've made divisions among yourselves. Does God bring division? Does God bring division in his body? Is he the author of division to his body? No. So if God's not the author of division in a body, who is? The devil, the enemy. And the enemy, we know, wants to come in and and steal and destroy and cut down the things that God is doing in us and through us. And one of the ways he can do that is sneak in and say, I'm going to sow a little division here because this is going to get them out of line. And they're not going to be working with one another. They're going to be working against one another. James says, listen, Brothers, sisters, again, it's very pastoral. Hey, brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, 
Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. I thought we were all in this together. Do you remember Pentecost? Do you remember that day that we all gathered and the Spirit came down and you guys joined this great big body of Christ and and we sat and we taught and we fellowshiped and we shared all this stuff together and then, then we had to be scattered because of the persecution and now all of a sudden we've got these divisions happening. We've got this hierarchy happening in the church where you're dividing up the church based on status, based on resources, based on influence. And what that means is that you are casting away the very people that God says are blessed. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. James says, hey, remember that? Remember Jesus says that? Poor, they're heirs of the kingdom. Now, this is not to say that just having... The status of being poor or marginalized gets you into the kingdom of heaven, right? We, we understand that. The entering into a relationship with God, entering into eternity with God, comes through the, 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 the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that's something that's available for everyone, that everyone needs. But I think as we look at how God treats this world and has invited in poor brothers and sisters, those who are marginalized, those who are beaten down, those, those who just don't have, feel like they have anything to give or, or the world says you really don't have anything to give, God shows the, the best of his kingdom because he has, he has welcomed them in, allowed them to enter in, says, hey, you are sons and daughters just like everyone else. I give you the riches of the kingdom. In this world, the poor do not typically have an inheritance, right? It's just the way it is. You know, my family on my side is, is not wealthy. Hardworking, not wealthy, didn't save up anything. You know what? I'm getting no inheritance here on this earth, more than likely, unless I, they don't know something that they know. But we're not poor, but you know what? I'm, I'm, there's nothing. But, and God says, hey, you who are getting nothing here, you who, who the world says you get nothing here, you get it all. You are included as co-equal brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think God's kingdom is displayed best when we see those who are on the outside are welcomed in, in a real way, and allowed and and invited to participate in this this body of Christ. Because what does the Bible say too? Everyone who is in Christ has gifts. They're not worldly gifts. They're not worldly gifts, they're gifts from the Spirit. And as soon as we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives us gifts to use in this body. And they're saying, hey, we don't see your gifts, we don't see your value, so you go sit off to the side where we can have someone actually come and fill the seats who can actually provide something for us, can move us ahead in our mission. And God is said, no, no, everybody in God's family, in my family, has giftings and has something to offer. And we're here to take care of one another. And it wasn't just because they were, they were pushed aside. They were pushed aside. These poor brothers and sisters are being overlooked uh, by, because the, the church was catering to people who were putting on the mask of Christianity for their own gain. All right? You have poor brothers and sisters coming in, part of the fellowship, part of the body of Christ, believing brothers and sisters. They are being pushed away for those who are walking in with a mask on, a mask on of Christianity, looking for their own gain. James says... In 2.6, don't the rich oppress you? They drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked on you? Does it really look like they believe, like they're actually part of this family, but yet you keep welcoming them in and 
in places of honor and prestige just because you think that you, they can give you something, right? James does not tell us why this is happening. James doesn't spell out why this is happening in this body. He doesn't spell out the reasons why the poor are being neglected and the, these, these folks who are coming in with a mask of Christianity are being put into favorable positions. But if we think about it for a minute, why would we do that? If we're honest, why would we do that? I will tell you what. As a leader of an organization, it's like, well, where are the resources? Where's the influence? Where, okay, come, come in, you know, come in, come in, come in, come in, and if you're not careful, we start to look at those external things. Who's, who can move this thing along faster? Who can do the job even better? All right, I see them out there, and how do I get them in here? I'm going to give them good coffee. I probably wouldn't do it, but the people who are faking it, putting on the mask of Jesus Christ, are getting preferential treatment to actually true brothers in Jesus and Christ who we were supposed to be encouraging and lifting up with one another. And they were looking at the resource and the influence that was, they were hopefully able to harness and use within the body versus actually the, the, the kingdom of God work, how God sees his kingdom. And we can't think for a moment that $1,000 given for one's own glory. Someone comes in here, gives $1,000 for their own glory, can't hold a candle to the $1 given for God's glory. God's going to take that dollar and say, you know what? Boom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something special with this thing. That other thing those other $1,000, you go ahead and keep those because it looks like they're better in your pocket than in mine because you want the glory and you're, not, you're wanting to, to advance the kingdom. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. And this is, uh, you know, it, it's a balance here. This is a balance here because I certainly don't want to come off saying that, hey, you know, I want to hear your four part testimony before you will be invited in here. I want to hear all the good things that God is doing in your life before you are able to participate. This is not, James is not saying, I don't think he's saying here that, hey, you know, only, you know, only you know, the, 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 the Christian folks can participate in this. But he's making a, a comparison, a contrast with how they are actually doing kingdom work. And it looks like the style of the world versus how God actually works his kingdom, right? They're, 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 they're staining themselves with the style and the system and the, the view that the, the world takes on how to get better, bigger, and grow. James goes on to say, If you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You are doing well. You are fulfilling the law that was set before you. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors, excuse me, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. He, James says, hey, remember those commandments? Remember those commandments? The, 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 these, are, these are Jewish folks, primarily Jewish folks, sitting in this church who he is writing to. He so says, remember what it meant to, to be under the commandments? 
And some of us would try to wiggle around and say, oh, those Ten Commandments, I've done six of them really well. There's four of them I really struggle with. So God, whew, he's got to look favorably on me because his six out of ten is pretty good. Now God says, hey, no, when... when when, when I lay down the commandments, they're a total package. They're my whole will. This is the way I work. This is the way you work. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came here with our, our new royal law, and he says, hey, you love God, and you love others. You love God, and you love others. When you show division, show favoritism, you are really not showing that you love other people, which means you are also not loving God whose image they are created in, right? You break it, you break the whole thing. You break the whole thing. And division is a sin against the love command, against God's will for us as we grow and mature and try to do this kingdom work with with God and through God. James, he concludes this section of Scripture with a couple verses here. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. Here's your law. This is what Christ gave you, right? Here's the law. It's not a law that's a burden. It's not a law that, that you can do on your own. It's not, it's not threatening. It's not confining. It's a law that you can joyfully execute through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here it is. Here it is. Speak and act as those who are judged by the law of freedom. Christ said, you love God and you love your neighbors. You love God and you love your neighbors. That is the extent. That is the whole counsel of God's law wrapped up there. And when you don't do one, if you're neglecting your neighbor, if you're you're, you're neglecting those who are hurting and suffering and on the sidelines because they've been pushed away by the world and God says, hey, come join my kingdom. You know, you've been pushed by the world, come join my kingdom. And we say, no, no, no. Well, you may be part of God's kingdom, but why don't you go sit on the side again? God says, you are breaking the law of freedom that we live under because of Jesus Christ. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's a correlation in Scripture here and, and where what we give is what God gives to us. Okay, now this is not a works-based thing. Look, if I do more and I do more and I check off these boxes, God's going to give me more and more and more. But there's a correlation here with how we are showing mercy to other people shows how we've been filled with God's mercy ourselves and we if we show no mercy to someone else how can someone come and say oh you've you've just been richly blessed by the mercy of God when we are not actually living out a life of mercy Jesus says when he's talking about prayer what does he say hey go and ask forgiveness go forgive other people because if you can't forgive how can God forgive you it's not about just checking off and oh you know keeping everything straight and right in a ledger it's about man You've been forgiven so much. How can you say that you cannot forgive someone else because Christ has forgiven you fully and completely and your, your life is to be marked by that and therefore it's just going to flow out of you. And as you forgive more, it's like this, this uh, too, as you forgive more, then God just keeps blessing and pouring and pouring in you. His kingdom mercies. God is going to measure the lives of all who stand before him. And that's all of us. That's all of us. At his great judgment, he's going to measure the lives of all of us who stand before him. Now, we've been covered and and we've taken on the, the coat of Jesus Christ. And when God sees you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God sees Christ. 
but he will look and evaluate the, the actions and the lives of everyone who stands before him. Paul says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. But God loves to see his mercy. God loves to use his mercy to cover the judgment. When we come to him, his mercy, his grace, his peace, all that is covered over, covered over us. He's such a good and loving God, and he's so happy when his mercy is able to cover over the judgment that we so earnestly deserve. This letter was written to a church. It's written to a church, not written to the outside world. This letter was written to a church. And I have to imagine that the letter was probably read to the leaders first, or by the leaders first, right? You get a correspondence for your church. I know I open some of the mail for the church, and I read the letters that come to the church and things like that, and if something we need to share, we, we read it and pass it along, things like that. So I can imagine the leaders reading this first and being convicted, oh my goodness, how have we fed into this? What have we done to not stop this? How have we neglected the, those who came in need and just wanted to come and fellowship and take part in the work that God was doing. I imagine the leaders stopping and saying, oh my goodness, what do we do? God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. And we have to say, you know what? James is right. James is right. We, we get caught up in looking at in the world's way of what are the resources, what are the talents, what are the giftings that, that can move this thing along. And James says that's not how the kingdom of God works. It's not by sowing division and, and pulling people apart based on who they are or what you think they bring. God brings the work. God's got work for you, and God's the one who is orchestrating and sowing into you. James is right James is right. And I was thinking this week, we were about six months past when we sent our senior pastor off into retirement. I think we did that pretty well in the process. I think we did that pretty well, and we've had a lot of great responses that, oh, you guys did it well over the last couple of years, really ushering in and, and moving us into a, a different season and a new season and allowing Pastor Mac and his family to, to move off and retire. And so we've had a lot of great feedback from that, and we thank you for that. But what also happens during these times is the enemy looks at that and says, okay, they're going to change, or something new is going to happen, or, or they're going to try to make some adjustments, and, and uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Now's the time. Now's the time. Now's the time. I'm going to try to plant something. I'm going to try to put something in the midst. I tell you, Pastor Mac and I worked for five and a half years together, jointly in a ministry, saying, okay, we, we got to be in the community. we got to get out in the community. we got to be doing kingdom work in our community. We're side by side partnering in that with the same goals, doing it different ways, but with the same goals because we're different people. And so I want to say that over the last couple of years. It's so, it's so easy to, to fall into the trap of saying, okay, we're losing stuff, and so that's discouraging. It's also easy to fall into the trap of saying, oh, we've got some new, some new, some new, and discard 
the things that have come before. And I want to say, personally, as a leader, if I have caused or sown any division in that, in attitude, action, or behavior, I apologize for that. Because that is not the goal. That is not the desire. The desire of the leadership is that we are moving hand in hand together through our community. And it's so easy to, to allow the devil to come in and start to sow division in the midst. We stand here saying, man, what a glorious history, fabulous history, a great history of how God has worked for over 40 years in this body. And we move forward saying, oh, we cannot wait to see what God is going to do in this new time, in this new season, without forsaking the past and without condemning the future. And so if, if I personally have said or done anything, as I look at James, it's like, oh my gosh, division kills. Division kills a church. If I've said that or had an attitude to, to, to push off the ministry that's been in the past, the work that's been done in the past, I would apologize for that. Apologize for that. Division has no place in a church. It kills churches. It kills the work that the Lord is doing in a community. If, if we are divided against the other churches in this area, there's some great evangelical churches in this area, and it's so easy to come and say, well, we're doing it right, and we're doing it our way, and we, we, it's so easy to push off the work that the Lord is doing in other fellowships, and we as pastors, we stand together and say, no, Faith Bible is valued, Elevate is valued, Baptist Church is valued, Crossroads is valued, churches across the river are valued, because we are working in the way that God has called us to work. And we won't let division stand because that's how the enemy starts to kill the church. I stand here and I look at James and, talk, and he's talking about favoritism and I think, man, if God picked favorites, I would not be here today. Who am I? What do I have to offer? The only thing I have to offer is what God can do through me. What do you have to offer? The only thing that you guys have to offer is what God can do through you. What do we have to offer as a body? We're a bunch of broken people. I love that Steve stood up here and said, hey, we're a bunch of broken people. What, is, what, is, what do we have to offer in that? We have to offer what God can do through us together, a group, partners, a gathering here on Sundays, gatherings out in our community, our social circle here, our friends, our family, our tribe, whatever language you want to use for the church. We can't do it if we start getting scattered, if we start getting divided, if we're divisive. We can't do it. We can't do it. We have a community to reach, folks. We've been talking about our mission here, and we, we got it on the logo. We're here to equip and impact, equip and impact. We've done a lot of equipping over the years. We are pressing hard as leaders. How do we impact? How do we impact our communities? How do we advance the kingdom of God through the work of the Holy Spirit? How do we partner in that? We have a community to reach. We have people to reach. We have people who are lost out there. We have community that we need to invite into our homes. We have community that we need to invite in this space. And what we need are dedicated individuals who are part of that, who are, we are joining together, partnering in that, saying, oh, we're part of this. We're part of this. We're moving together hand in hand. Jesus had a prayer for you. This, this, is, this is read all the time. But Jesus had a prayer for you. Jesus, right for you. Jesus was thinking of you when he prayed this. He was thinking of me when he prayed this. Jesus didn't just pray for the disciples who were around him. He just didn't pray for himself in his ministry. Jesus thought of you when he prayed these words. I pray 
not only for these, which he was talking about his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Those of us who've been blessed because we came to Christ, because we heard the testimony of who Jesus was and what he has done for us. They believed in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. When we are united together, we show the face of Christ. We show the mission of Christ. We proclaim to the world that Christ rose from the dead, taking sin and suffering and shame and death with him, putting him finally in the grave, and we do not have to be, we do not have to be condemned by that. We don't have to live under that. We do not have to be you know, sent to an eternal death away from God. We get to live in eternity to be what Christ has done for us, and we say that when we are walking together as a body. And we can't effectively reach our communities until we are united as one. And we can't be united as one if we don't know one another. We have to know one another. We have to go deep in our relationships with one another. And, and I, I know this, you know, the, you know, oh, well, I got a group of friends. I don't know how many more people I can actually bring into my life. Yes, I know that. I know that. You know, I, I find I can bring about 12, 15 people close. And that's, you know, okay, whew, now I'm overwhelmed. But we need to go deep in our relationship with one another and, and get to know who is in this body of Christ, who we are working with, who is on our team. And we won't be able to do that if we don't know one another. So I have a challenge for you guys today. Some of you guys are thinking, oh man, I don't want to challenge. Don't want to challenge. Don't challenge me. This is easy. This is easy. All right. And if you want to actually take on this challenge, we'll actually help pay for this thing. Okay. So listen here. This is the challenge. This is a challenge. I want all of you in this room to go on a coffee break. There you go. I want you to go on a coffee break. Not necessarily in this cafe with the coffee. And yes, ones, you can have the coffee too. All you ones in here, you can have the coffee too. I want you to go on a coffee break. I want you to, to, in this fellowship, in this body, look around and say, you know what? I have not talked with that person in a long, long time. I've fallen out of fellowship with them, or I don't know that person over there. They are new, or I am new, or whatever it may be, but I don't know them. And they're part of this body. I'm going to go over, and I'm going to invite them for coffee in the next two weeks. That's the challenge. See, we can, we can have a campaign and we can preach and say, oh, we got to get to know one another. We got to do all this kind of stuff. We can, we can try to force activity and all sorts of stuff in here. But when it comes down to uh, you know, boots on the ground, I believe in small steps. I believe in small steps. If you do counseling with me, we're going to go through small steps in counseling because this is what I think works is small steps. And the small step is just recognizing that, you know what, I don't have a deep relationship or I don't know who is in this body. And what can I do about it? For some of it's just going out to coffee with them. So for some of us, you guys are, are, are uh, you have hospi- the gift of hospitality, and you're just like, I'll, I'll invite someone to my house. Come over for lunch. That's great, too. Do the lunch thing. I'm just paying for coffee. Don't do the lunch. I'm, you know, the lunch <laughs> thing's on your own. All right? Bring someone into your house. Invite them to join your group to get to know them a little bit better, but reach out to someone in this fellowship who you do not know and say, hey, we're, let's get together. Let's Let's do this thing. Let's grow deeper in our relationship through the Lord and our unity with the Lord and with one another because Jesus says when you are united, when you are one, you are showing the kingdom of God. You are showing how the kingdom of God works. My challenge, go out and do some coffee. Go do some coffee. Leaders, do some coffee. Pull some aside, do some coffee. All right, that's the challenge of the day. That doesn't sound very spiritual though, but I 
guarantee you, you go deep in something like that, it's going to get real spiritual. You share your testimony. You share what God's doing in your life. You may find that, hey, God's doing that with you. God's doing that with me. Why don't we do this thing together? Why don't we do this thing together? Go and get some coffee with one another. Jesus, we come to you. You are the author of our faith.